Welcome to the Am I Called podcast. Am I Called is a ministry that exists to help men find their call and to help pastors find called men. For more information and resources, visit amicalled.com. Now, here's your host, Dave Harvey. Morning, folks. At least it's morning here in Tallahassee. Um, This is Dave Harvey, and I I woke up this morning pretty excited because we get to enjoy another Am I Called podcast. I'm particularly eager because our guest today is J.R. Vassar. J.R. is the lead pastor of Church at the Cross in Grapevine, Texas. JR is also the founder of IGO Global, which is excellent. I mean, it just sends hundreds of missionaries, student missionaries around the world every year. And JR recently published a book as well called Glory Hunger, God, the Gospel, and Our Quest for Something More, published by Crossways. It's great to have you with us, JR. Thanks, Dave. Really okay. glad to be here. Yeah. Okay, so what what does JR stand for? <laughs> All right. Actually, my official name is Charlie Lee Vassar Jr. Charlie Lee. Okay. Charlie Lee. So I can certainly understand how you get Jr. out of Thank that. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah, I go by Junior. Uh, it's it stands for Junior. Okay. So, yeah. I wish my name could could have just initials like that. It seems like the really smart guys roll that way. You know, Lewis and J.I. Packer and R.C. Sproul and and now Jr. Vassar. So thanks for joining us, Jr. Listen. One of the things that I like to do uh, for the podcast is just to tell some of our guests, or have some of our guests tell the story of how they were called to preach the gospel. So why don't you why don't you share with our listeners just how God called you to preach the gospel? Yeah, I was in high school. Uh, actually, attended the church that I'm now pastoring, which is kind of crazy. But I was in high school and uh, just had the Lord called me to Himself when I was when I was young and I'd, so I'd really followed the Lord and I uh, um, was even pretty active sharing my faith even as a kid. And, but right around my junior year of high school, um, I, I, went to, I went to a Christian concert. I, I went and heard the great Carmen. I don't know if you're familiar with Carmen. Oh, sure. Uh, Dave Harvey, but uh, he, it was, you know, it was typical Carmen music, but man, the guy was quoting the Bible nonstop during this concert. And I just realized, I don't know the Bible like, like that. And I just began from that point on just to consume the Bible. And the more I read the Bible, uh, the more I just began to love Jesus and the more I began to want to teach the Bible. And I started a, a Bible study at my high school. And then the, the pastor of my church was crazy enough to let me preach uh, one, uh, one night. And so I think it was February 3rd of 1991, I preached my first sermon and uh, it was really bad, uh, <laughs> but man, the Lord used it. And uh, I just knew from that point that this is what I want to give my life to. I want to give my life to telling people about, about Jesus and preaching his gospel. And, and the church affirmed that along the way. You know, I think it's important that uh, you, you don't just say, this is what I'm called to do, but the church comes alongside you and says, we affirm that, that gifting, we affirm that calling. Uh, it's it's Acts thirteen when the Spirit speaks to the church and says, "Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the work that I've, I've called them to." Uh, so so that I had the the affirming, uh, voice of the church that just said, "Yeah, we we see that these gifts in you," and mm-hmm. and so I yeah I surrendered the external the added to the internal. Yeah, I was uh, just at, I surrendered the ministry when I was a senior in high school and. 
And uh, the Lord's been been good to uh, to preserve that call in my life. So part of that path was you were evidently feeling called to lead. I mean, even in high school, you're drawing kids together. You're beginning a Bible study. You're probably teaching there. So it seems like that there were some yearnings, some some longings to to work in God's Word and to unpack God's Word for others. Is that kind of what it looked like for you? Yeah, it was. Um just a compulsion. I, I just felt a, a deep drive to, to serve people with this, with the, with the word. And, um, and, and I, it, and there, you know, there were, there were moments even after I felt called to, uh, to, to ministry where, you know, I just, I'd be a stupid high school kid and, uh, the Lord would bring tremendous conviction upon my life over things and, and just remind me of that call. Like, this is what I've called you to. I've set you apart for this. And, so that was very, very much an internal drive, um, and I think even as as much as it can be as a high school kid, um, you know, I think some godly ambition uh, to to really be a part of God's work, and and again, that external affirmation of the church along the way was was key as well. Since we're talking a bit about, a bit about preaching here, Jr., I know a couple of years back you you transitioned from New York City to take a pastoral role back down in Texas, where you're from. <clears throat> and, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with the reality of a, a change in regions in the United States. I, I was in Philadelphia for 27 years and then moved down to Tallahassee about uh, almost two years ago. And so I'm, I'm curious what your experience is. How, how is the experience of preaching different for you when addressing folks in Texas versus addressing folks in, in New York City? Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of similarities. Um, people are, you know, I think people are people in, in many respects, but there, there is a contextualization issue that you face when you, when you switch uh, regions like that. And I think New York, um, the starting point for people was just totally different. You know, I think where I'm at now, there's some, there's certain assumptions you used to be able to make about, about people's starting point. And that assumption uh, just didn't work up uh, in the Northeast in New York in particular. Uh, people are a little bit more, uh, frankly, just a little bit more hostile to the gospel, a lot more objections to the gospel, uh, secular minded, uh, very pluralistic, uh, very, um, uh, very, very much uh, uh, promiscuous, and so, so there's there's a there's an approach to preaching where you had to you had to really be audience focused and say, okay, what are the the objections? What are the uh, the the idolatrous beliefs? Um, what are what what Keller calls defeater beliefs? What are people believing that make Christianity untenable? And how do I raise those and address those in my sermon? Uh, obviously I, I think there's, there's also, uh, addressing getting to the heart through the mind, uh, in that, uh, part of the country was important. Um, I think there's an intellectual, uh, pride, uh, in, in, in the city. Uh, so you got to people's hearts through their mind. And, and so I think coming back here, I think Chandler, Matt Chandler, and I had a discussion about this. He used to always say, uh, Vassar, I've got it harder down here in the South than you do up North because you're preaching to people who know they're lost and I'm preaching to people who think they're saved. And, uh, and he told me this, he said, he said, you're going to have to develop compassion for the older brother. 
And I think that was a good word. I, you know, I think in, in New York, it was a lot of younger brother types and the prodigal son story, people who were there to, uh, I mean, really build a name for themselves and, and, and express new freedoms and, and, and really give themselves to all sorts of, um, of worldly things. And, and I think in the context that I find myself in now, it's people who are a little bit more religiously prideful and, uh, who, uh, I think struggle with self-righteousness. And so, uh, so uh, I think that, that those living around the, the father's home or in the father's home can can inoculate them against you know the the authentic gospel and they're just so familiar so conversant I mean that's certainly true down here in, yeah. in the south as well yeah and I and it, truthfully the answer to both those those contexts is grace uh, the more you preach grace uh, the the more the younger brothers want to come home and the more the older brothers. Uh, start, you know, to act like sons and not slaves, and so uh, it, it's it's been a it's been a really fun transition for me to come back here and uh, to take what I've learned, what I learned in New York, and what I learned about preaching, um, and, and and apply a lot of that here because I do think with globalization, I, I I still think that a lot of the same hangups people have in the Northeast they they have down here as well. Yeah, I know. Um being in the same church as, as I was for uh, 27 years, I, I found that that I, I took over as lead pastor a few years into the life of the church. Um, and the church kind of, I think, grew with me and adapted to both my strengths and weaknesses in preaching. And I think there is a kind of a almost an inherent tolerance for for weaknesses, but then you come into a, one of the benefits of of going into a, a whole new setting is you, you know, you come into a new context in a different region, and there's fresh eyes, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the weaknesses are surfacing, and and uh, and you're having to deal with them. There isn't the tolerance, and uh, and that's a good thing because it it helps us to be even more effective in in sharing and connecting the gospel. So I'm trying to learn to slow down my pace a little bit down here in the south, and you know, kind of downshift from northeast to uh, to deep south. Yeah, I, I, I relate to that. Now, Jr., you wrote a book recently called uh, "Glory Hunger," and uh, it's about God, the gospel, and our quest for something more. At least that's the subtitle. Mm-hmm. What is what is glory hunger? Well, I, I feel like I'm an expert on this because I struggle with it so much. Uh, gl- glory hunger is this deep drive that we have to have a sense of, uh, of approval, affirmation, uh, to have people speak well of us, uh, to be visible to people, to feel valuable. Um, it, it really is a, a, a drive to, to matter. And, uh, and it manifests itself in a lot of ways. Our, our hunger for attention uh, our desire to be known, um, just this with social media, uh, this constant energy devoted to building a platform where we promote ourselves, and and uh, and so so glory hunger is just this itch uh, to it, and this is going to sound crazy, but to be glorified, to be thought well of, to be honored, to be esteemed, uh, to be affirmed and admired, and I think it's present in all of us. So that, yeah, this isn't a, a Christian thing. This is a this is it's an inherent thing. thing, a DNA yeah. thing. Yeah. And, uh, and so glory hunger is, you know, what happens at conversion to glory hunger? Yeah, I th- the, you know, the, when you talk about glory hunger, it's, it's 
it's easy to instantly think of that as a negative thing. Uh, but I, I don't think it's necessarily, I think it can have sinful expressions, but I think the reason we're so hungry for glory is because we were made for it. I mean, when, when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, Psalm 8, he crowned them with glory and honor. He, he, he looked upon all that he had made uh, prior to them and said, it's good, it's good, it's good. But he looked upon them, the crowning achievement of his creation, and he says, this is very good. And, and that, that really is uh, what glory hunger is all about, to have that kind of verdict spoken over your life and to feel like, uh, I mean, what a tremendous compliment to have the God of the universe look at you and say, very good. And so when you look at Adam and Eve, there was a, there was a beauty about them. There was a greatness about them. They, they, Adam was given dominion. All things were put under his feet, crowned with glory and honor. And then the tragedy of the fall is that all that was, all that was lost. And um, the, the verdict over their life drastically changed. And so really, the way I explain it in the book is that humanity is just constantly trying to get that very good back, to have that spoken over them. And, you know, we look to a human audience for it. Um, but the gospel is that, is that we can have that, that very good restored to us uh, through, through Christ. And so uh, conversion is, is really having God's verdict restored over us. It's going from those who are condemned in their sin to those who've been declared right before God, the, those upon whom God looks and sees the righteousness of Christ and says, I declare you righteous. I approve you. I affirm you. I welcome and receive you. And so that, that's, um, that's, that's where conversion comes into this deal, is a restoration of the glory that was lost to us in the garden. And, and there's a sense, uh, isn't there, that our, our glory hunger is, is satisfied in Jesus, that he, Jesus came as the embodiment of, of God's glory. And, uh, you know, I think about that, is it John 12, they, they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God, which isn't simply just the glory hunger that's innate, but it's they were they were rejecting Jesus, the, the glory that came from, from God. Mm, yeah. Now, JR, one of the big temptations for any guy who's considering pastoral ministry or, or, or church planting or, or moving toward that is, is, you know, there is this, there is this desire that they have for, for recognition and, and praise. Uh, it sounds like what you're saying is that isn't necessarily sinful. Yeah, I'm saying it can have sinful expressions because I think even Jesus motivates us with, um, with this idea of doing things um, in such a way that would, that would give you the Father's reward, the well done of, of God, um, to have the Father pleased uh, with, with how you carry out your ministry. Um, so, I, so I think uh, you know, doing your ministry to be seen by men uh, certainly Jesus warns against that in Matthew, Matthew 6, um, carrying, practicing our righteousness to be seen by men. But I think when we have that itch, when we have that ache to be known or praised or admired or esteemed for the work God's doing in us, that just needs to drive, like, where's that coming from? That, that's a legitimate need. I think I have to be affirmed and approved, but it's only met in God. And so if I'm doing my ministry for the smile of God, the approval of God, uh, the applause of God, the well done of God. Uh, I think there's something really beautiful to that, but where it gets twisted and, and, and expressed in sinful ways is whenever we're wanting the recognition of, of people and we, we find ourselves cre- creating moments where that, might, where that might happen. And I think one of the ways we can test whether that glory hunger has been 
twisted in us is how do we handle other people's successes? Um, when I see someone's thriving in ministry and I'm seeing fruit in their ministry, am I genuinely thrilled that God's uh, work is being done, the kingdom is being advanced, that people are being transformed? Or is there a bit of jealousy in me of, uh, man, I, I, I wish that was, was me. And, uh, and so some, sometimes I, you, that's one of the checks for me is, is, this, is this constant temptation for comparison. Yeah. Yeah, I, well, I can certainly relate to that. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it puts me in, in mind of that, uh, that Romans 2 passage where, you know, Paul's talking about how God will render to each one according to his works to, to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor, he'll he'll give eternal life. So it's not portrayed as a bad pursuit. It's it's right. almost as if the uh, the issue is not the the hunger for glory. It's it's that we move ourselves to the center of that of that glory drive. Yeah, and the passage you you quoted earlier from John twelve. Um, you know, here's a group of people who believed in Jesus, but they wouldn't confess him because they were afraid of falling out of favor with other people. And then the reason is because, as you said, they love the glory that came from, from men more than the glory that came from God. And, and I, I, I like your take on that, but I, I think there's also that idea they love the praise that came from people more than the praise that came from God. So there is to, there is to be a glory that we are to love and that we are to want and that we're to seek after and that we're, we should be willing to, to suffer to have. And, and that is the, the glory, the, the, the praise, the affirmation, the approval, the favor that comes from, from God. And I think that's where Romans 2 is pointing us as well. I think that's really important that we, <clears throat> that we esteem that and we recover that and we, uh, we hold that out for, particularly for guys that are pursuing ministry because there, you know, there is this sense where part of what humility looks like is having, you know, being so humble, you have no aspirations whatsoever. You're, you're too mm-hmm. modest for, for humility or you're too modest for, for ambition or for, to express your glory hunger. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like Lewis says, making, it creates men without chess mm-hmm. uh, who, who don't have, he, he talks about having either virtue or enterprise. So part of, having a hollow chest for Lewis is, is the absence of enterprise, the absence of industry, the absence of mm. ambition. In other words, we're not feeding that, that glory hunger. Yeah. I, I think that, uh, that is a, a key motivation for a lot of young men in ministry. And I think we, we can so um, warn them against this, this longing for glory uh, that we, we really can... Um, almost in a sense emasculate them where there's just no, there's just no drive at all. And so par- part of my hope for the book was to say, hey, look, examine this drive in your heart and let it point you in the right, right direction. Um, you know, I love, Lewis also talks about um, the weight of glory and this idea of thinking about the glory for other people as well. I, I want to, to give myself passionately and fully uh, to the work of God so I would hear his well done and receive, um, receive praise from him. Uh, but I want others to experience the glory of God. And so I'm, I'm as ambitious for the glory of other people as I am for, for, for my own. And uh, so, I, so I think that drive uh, finds expression in both those ways. 
Yeah, you know, it, it, one of the things I think about is that I, I think pastors are probably more encouraged by, by people for the things they do than almost any other vocation. I mean, I think it swings both ways. They're also, they're also criticized, but uh, in terms of you know, what, what we have in, in the culture, you've got actors, you've got musicians. I mean, they're certainly applauded for what they produce for the fruit of their gifts, but, but pastors have the regular experience of preaching and then having people celebrate that, commend that, affirm that. And, uh, you know, part of how this, it seems like part of how this plays out and where we really have to navigate this in the trenches is, is what do we do when people are applauding and celebrating and appreciating that? You know, so, so for you, JR, like, what does that look like for you? How do you relate to the understandable accolades that might come from the fruit of your gifts being employed? Yeah, the f- I, I, the first thing I'd say about that is I, I, I try not to make the people who've given the compliment, um, I, I try not to shame them because I, I see this all the time where people are like, man, it's, it wasn't me, it was God, you know, no glory to me. And, and that's just awkward and uncomfortable for people. They, they weren't really trying to rob God and pick God's pocket of glory. They're just, they're just honoring you, they're complimenting you, they're affirming you. And so um, I usually, one, in the moment, just say, I really appreciate those kind and encouraging words. That means a lot to me. Thank you for that. Uh, thank you for that encouragement. Because genuinely, that's what they're trying to do. They're just trying to encourage you and affirm you. Um, but, then, but then in my own heart, I have to, I have to immediately go to the Lord and, and just say to him, Lord, I can do nothing apart from the Lord Jesus. I, if, if I don't abide in him, I don't bear fruit. And so uh, all, this, is, this is your work in and through me. And and I think you have to have people in your life who, who keep their finger on the pulse of your own pride. Um, yeah, I, I, I think pride is so insidious that we, we sometimes can't even identify it ourselves. And so to have some people who keep their pulse on our own pride and, and uh, you know, there are times where, where as pastors we can easily fish for compliments uh, because of this, this ache for glory hunger, uh, this, this ache for glory. And I think having people close enough to us to go, uh, man, I, I really feel like you're you're kind of fishing here, and uh, you know you, you've you've said some some disparaging things about your preaching in hopes of having us uh, prop it up, and and so I I think uh, having an internal conversation with the Lord where you're acknowledging that uh, not only does He butter our bread, but He gives us the bread in the first place. You know He. He tells the people in Deuteronomy, look, you're, there's going to come a time where you're going to build houses and you're going to have lands and you're going to think you did this by your own strength. And, you know, that it was me that did this. And so, um, uh, so I, I think keeping that internal conversation up with the Lord and keeping our, our prayer life um, uh, hot and our prayer life consistent and then having people in our life who will call out uh, those, those uh, prideful moments in us, those prideful patterns in us and uh, you know, but but I'm I'm absolutely certain that uh, when people come up to me at my church and compliment a sermon, they're not testing me. Uh, they're generally trying to affirm and encourage me, and so I want to I want to show gratitude to them for that. Yeah, I think that's really helpful, and uh, you know, to recognize that their their intent is to give is is and we should assume at least that their intent is to give glory to God for 
you know, what they're observing and experiencing through their pastor preaching and, uh, and, and relate to it that way. I think, I think another for, you know, for our listeners and guys that are trying to wrestle with this, I think another thing that, that can be done is, is that in that moment, guys, you can, you can make a, a silent transfer of that glory to God. So if you're receiving appreciation or, or uh, affirmation for something that you've done, um, you know, to, to be able to receive it from the person in a way that is, is humble and acknowledges what they've said, but then in your own heart, just to just pass it along to the Lord. It, yeah. uh, it gives him glory. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't do this enough, but I think another, another practice is after we preach a sermon, um, usually we're so exhausted. We're just like, man, I'm glad that's over. I enjoyed it. I'm just glad it's done, you know? And uh, I think retreating after, after those preaching moments and just for, for brief moments and just saying, uh, God, I entrust that to you, that, that message I just preached, I entrust it to you. Uh, I give you thanks and praise for giving me the energy and the insight uh, to bring that message. And I'm, I'm trusting the fruit of it to you. Um, and then just to, to put it in his hands, because I think you know, part, of, part of our glory hunger is not just patting ourselves on the back, but beating ourselves up. Or we just beat ourselves up over, well, I didn't really preach that uh, very well, or um, man, I, that didn't go as well as I anticipated. And, and so part of this glory hunger is, is not just I, I'm wanting affirmation and approval from people, but I also constantly am condemning and criticizing myself uh, for not being better at this so that I can be more uh, admired by other people. And so yeah. I think those retreats where you just get with the Lord and say, Lord, I trust that to you and uh, thank you for how you've used me. And I don't feel like maybe I preached well this morning, but I'm entrusting it to you and giving you, um, giving you praise for uh, even for those for, for that moment of struggle and so so I think I think yeah those internal conversations but I think getting a discipline of retreating after the preaching and and, and dealing you know going to the Lord and and dealing with some of those things uh, before him you know it seems to me like one of the one of the phenomena behind the emergence of what many are calling the celebrity pastor really has to do with 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 glory hunger really has to do with how men are negotiating and evaluating and and uh, and what they're doing with the, the this issue of glory, how it's being indulged or how it's being deflected and transferred mm-hmm. to God. So, you know, a celebrity pastor can't be somebody who's just popular, you know, by you know, Piper's popular, Keller's popular, and we're glad they're popular. Um, mm-hmm. So how would you delineate the difference, JR, between let's say a, a celebrity pastor and and just a pastor who has faithfully applied his gifts and therefore been given a platform by God? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, I, I, think, uh, the, I think one of the reasons that we've seen this explosion of popular pastors is, uh, is just the whole podcast world and uh, the fact that I think we've we've lost the 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 sense of a local pastor who shepherds a flock of God among him uh, that he that he that he lives among, um, and so so people have have uh, instead of seeing their pastor as their pastor, I've heard people say, "Well, I'm 
I, I get my past. My, I'm pastored by Tim Keller, Matt Chandler, even though they live, you know, 600 miles away from them. So part of it is, I think, just the culture we're we're, we're living in has just made their voices more accessible, and that's just going to create greater popularity. But I think there's a difference between stewarding a platform and building one, and. There's those are two different motivations. Uh, I, I know men who have wide platforms, large platforms, who never set out to build that for themselves, but who genuinely have sought to steward it. And one of the ways you, I think you can tell the difference is asking the question: How involved are they in the life of their local congregation? Uh, so I know guys with with huge platforms uh, that are still doing. The- Work of a local church pastor. Uh, they they still uh, they still meet with people. They still counsel people. Uh, they you know they're obviously their their time is is limited for some of those things, but they're still deeply entrenched in the local church. Um, they're they're not um, they don't simply see uh, their job is to preach uh, sermons, uh, build podcast audiences, and write books. But man, they love the congregation that they have. They love the local church that they're, that they're leading. And they're sur- submitted in accountability to their local elders there with them. And they got their hands in the soil of people's lives, kind of cultivating uh, God's work in their hearts. And, and so uh, to me, th- that's the big difference. I mean, is a guy stewarding a platform and has his life invested in a local congregation or is a guy just building a platform with his gifts? Yeah, well, that's a great, that's a great distinction in a, very important one um, that goes right to the heart of what you know what qualifies a man for ministry and what what his platform should include the the local church the experience of the local church the accountability of the local church P- part of what I think this this involves jr is uh, you know is the use of social media I mean certainly when you hear celebrity pastor you think social media is a part of that package. And yet, I know, I know for you, um, even though we've we've never actually sat across from one another and had a conversation apart from today, I look forward to doing that in the future. But you're you're active on social media. You seem to do that responsibly. You're you're trying to you're trying to move men away from the wrong kind of glory. Um, but we're 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 living also in this age where social media presents. Things like followers and uh, and likes on on Facebook, and so how do how do you discern where to draw lines with social media? And in particular, talk to talk to the listener who might be um, who might be younger, who is uh, pursuing ministry, aspires to ministry, maybe just getting into ministry, and wants to know how social media should be positioned within his ministry. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a that's a great question. I I think one of the things I would encourage guys uh, to think through is why am I on social media? Like, what is my intent for being on social media? Um, is it to promote myself, uh, or is it to uh, pr- promote the, the the kingdom? And and I think. A couple, a couple things that are indicators of that um, that you can just you can just choose that I'm I'm choosing not to do these things. Uh, one is I'm choosing not to retweet compliments people pay me. Uh, 
I just, I can't see any positive um, benefit of doing that. I can't see any positive motivation behind that when, when someone is constantly retweeting compliments about themselves. Uh, so so that, that's one of the indicators that maybe this has turned into a self-promotion kind of thing. I think if you're constantly checking whether you're being retweeted or whether your followers go up, probably a good indication that it's turning into a self-promotion platform building kind of thing for you. Uh, if you if you find it difficult to promote other people's uh, thoughts or, or or books or, or blogs or whatever, um, out of a spirit of competition or concern, then I think probably social media has turned into a platform builder for you. And and I you know I understand there's been books written about building your platform, and uh, I'm all for promoting things that you believe in, uh, but I just think there's such a fine line between. I'm promoting something that is true, and I'm promoting something that's about me, and and I just would really caution uh, caution some folks with that. And I think it's you got to have people in your life who'll call you out on it. And um, but you know, it's a great tool. It's a great gift. Uh, I get most of my news from Twitter. I get most of the articles that I that I come across that I find helpful come across to me from from Twitter. And the way I try to use Twitter is to promote some of those articles, those ideas. If there's a book I'm reading that I like or if there's something I come across that, that I read, if there's a thought that I have that I think would benefit people. But, man, it's such a motivation thing. Like, what is my motivation behind this? And, and uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's just a monster we gotta, we got to watch out for. Well, that's, <clears throat> that's very good, JR. I mean, those three points you listed are very, are very helpful. I mean, I'm even thinking about my own use of of uh, of Twitter and social media in light of some of the things that you're you're saying you, you should convert that into into an article. So uh, you know, th- thanks for passing that along. And uh, and that actually wraps up the amount of time we have on the podcast. And so Jr., thanks a lot for joining us. This has been very helpful and uh, and very enjoyable. Well, thank you, Dave. I appreciate you having me on. For our listeners, remember that uh, the vision behind this podcast is is to offer free stuff to leaders and to guys wrestling with calling or or even leaders or pastors that are seeking to help them. So if you're interested in that kind, those kind of resources, visit amicalled.com and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Am I Called podcast, which was brought to you today by Four Oaks Community Church in Tallahassee, Florida. For more articles, interviews, and resources on calling and pastoral ministry, visit amicalled.com.